2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Congress is back in
1: town. Hold on to your wallets. Hey, hello everybody. What do you say? On a Monday, Monday, April 9. So good to see you today. And welcome to the program. It is The Bill Press Show. And uh, it's good to be back with you after a uh, great trip. To Chicago and to Santa Fe. Uh, I'll tell you all about that. And we uh, are glad to uh, see you back here on the ranch with all the news of the day. Come to you live from Washington, D.C., as always, our nation's capital. And our studio perched right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building, where, yes, the Senate and the House both come back into town this week. uh, With Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. Coming in as well for two days of hearings, hearing committees as uh, committees before the House and the Senate want to find out what the hell happened with Facebook uh, giving its uh, uh, what is it up to 87 million people 87 now? 87 million now. 87 million Americans and their uh, private uh, information uh, either uh, <clears throat> not really stolen, given away by Facebook. That's going to be one of the big items this week. Uh, Plus, we'll be looking at an expected military action against Syria on the part, probably another missile strike uh, against Syria, sort of already warned and threatened, uh, maybe even promised by President Donald Trump in response for their, once again, use of chemical weapons. So much to talk about, so much to get into. We want to hear from you about all of the above. Send us your comments on Twitter, Twitter. At BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press.
3: All right. Just a couple of other stories making news. Speaking of Facebook, over the weekend, we found out that they have suspended another data analytics firm. CNBC did a story talking about a company called Cube U. Cube U. Hmm. And what they do is they put out personality quizzes on Facebook, which you've seen. Well, you haven't seen them because you're not a Facebooker. But if you use Facebook, you've seen these quizzes that sort of say what your personality is like. You have to answer a series of questions, which the series of questions they ask you all have to do with things that you like or enjoy or Activities, it gets all kinds of personal information that gives you a personality, uh, a, a result about what kind of personality you have. Well, it turns out they were taking these quizzes and selling them off to uh, companies to give them information about you oh. and what you like, oh. which is not what they were supposed to be doing. So Facebook suspended them after the CNBC story came out. CNBC story came out. So just. Don't take first, don't take any quizzes on Facebook if you're out there. Like just yeah. just, just don't do it. And uh, possibly, Bill, we have another Black Panther story. It's been out for months now, but over the weekend it was a huge, huge milestone. It actually passed Titanic to become the number three highest grossing film um, of um, all time. Unbelievable! It still keeps. It still. I had a friend try and go see it this weekend, so that, the, that it was sold out. No, this weekend. Uh, it has brought in $665,355,740. Mm. That is enough to put it past Titanic. Uh, it is only uh, less than $100 million behind Avatar. And then the highest grossing film of all time was Star Wars, The Force Awakens, uh, which they have quite a ways to go to beat that. So I'm not sure if that's going to
1: happen. But All right. So does this mean I have to go see it? I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, <laughs> you might be okay. But I think they're doing okay without my money.
3: Yeah, I don't think they necessarily need yeah, your money, right, but right. it's it's still out there, still making money. And one well, final story, we remember in November of last year, we talked about how there was an oil leak with the Keystone Pipeline. 5,000 barrels is what we were told, it turns out, over the weekend we find it was not 5,000 barrels. It was 9,700 barrels, almost double what we were originally told, so... Not good. Pipelines don't
1: leak. Come on. (laughs) Of course not. Not the well, not the well-built ones. No, no. What are you saying? This is the Bill Press Show. Congress back in town. You know they'll be up to no good. Man, we were safe while they were out of town, but watch out. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Monday, April 9, uh, here we are, the Bill Press Show. Good to be back with you. And uh, thanks to Peter Ogburn and Igor Volsky for keeping the good ship Bill Press afloat while uh, I was off on a little book tour for for uh, in a couple of cities and great to see uh our good friends out in Chicago and the good friends in Santa Fe as well. Welcome to the program. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington DC our nation's capital our studio right here on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day what's happening here in Washington. Uh, On the Hill, down at the White House, what's happening around the country and around the globe. Thanks so much for joining us. As we reach out to you coast to coast on uh, just about every way we can, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On television, look at you on Free Speech TV today. You're looking good. And on the radio, that great progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT, uh, and uh, throughout the state of Indiana on Indiana Talks. How about it? Lots going on, lots going on, and yes, indeed, a big shout-out and a big thank you to our friends, uh, first in Chicago. Boy, we had a great time, guys, at um, Frugal Muse Bookstore there Wednesday night. Nice. Chicago, great big crowd, um, uh, and a great conversation. A uh, young man by the name of Sean Caston, who's the uh, Congressional Democratic congressional candidate for that district, Illinois' 6th district. Uh, came, stopped by, and took over the microphone for a little bit. Uh, he's, a, he's a great candidate, got a great chance there in Illinois six. And boy, I found the people there are pumped up. They are really pumped up about uh, getting governorship in uh, 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 J.B. Pritzker. Um, yep, J.B. Pritzker as uh, the next governor of Illinois. Uh, several congressional races are all involved in, and uh, there's a lot of energy, and a lot of action. It was really, really fun to. Meet them all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and to see our good friends from uh, WCPT, Matt Cummings, uh, news director there, and Antonio, our friend Antonio Correa. Shout out, Antonio. Shout out, Antonio. And then on to uh, Santa Fe, beautiful, beautiful Santa Fe, and, uh, and a great crowd there, too, at the Collected Works bookstore uh, in Santa Fe, all out there, uh, in addition to talking politics, talking about uh, my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire, which... Debuted at number seven on the Washington Post bestseller list this week. So here, here. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, And uh, if you haven't already found out more about it, find out more about it at our website at uh, BillPressShow.com. Calm.
3: I have to say, I did my part. Both of my kids got books in their Easter baskets.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they were thrilled. Oh, loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, here we go with the, uh, the news of the day. Where do we start? Um, well, we've got to start, I think, with this uh, terrible situation uh, in, in Syria. It's just, it's hard to believe really, that there's anybody on the planet today that would use chemical weapons. And here, uh, uh, Bashar al-Assad, uh, and, and, and you know, I know there's an investigation underway, but look, you've seen the videos, I've seen the video, Just uh, especially, just heartbreaking, these kids with these little masks on and over 40-some dead women and children uh, included uh, in this chemical attack. He did it under President Obama. He did it already under Donald Trump, and Donald Trump uh, responded, as did uh, Barack Obama, finally, with a missile attack. Uh, Donald Trump did, and you know you know that that's what's going to happen uh, this time around uh, as well. Um, uh, it has been threatened um, by uh, people down at the White House. Here is the... Oh. Peter, who was that? Um, well, oh, Tom
2: Bossert, Tom from, Bossert, uh, DHS, Tom Bossert DHS from uh, of Department
1: room. of Homeland Security, right?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't take anything off the table. These are horrible photos. We're looking into the attack at this point. The State Department put out a, a statement last night, and uh, the President's senior national security cabinet have been talking with him and with each other all throughout the evening and, and this morning, and, and myself included.
1: Democratic Senator Ben Cardin from Maryland uh, yesterday uh, saying, uh, "You know, just can't look the other way." Uh, Assad has to be held responsible.
2: Senator Rubio and I have introduced legislation. It's passed our committee that would hold uh, the evidence accountable. We need to make sure that that there is a proceeding started by the international community to hold him responsible. This is not the first use of chemical weapons.
1: Not the first use indeed. And uh, it was interesting uh, that Donald Trump not only um, singled out uh, Bashar al-Assad as responsible, but also said... Uh, Vladimir Putin was responsible because of his support uh, of Bashar uh, al-Assad.
3: Yeah, I didn't really see that comment.
1: Yeah, no, I mean he no. did,
3: but I did not see that comment.
1: I think that's the first time in any way he said anything critical about Vladimir Putin.
3: I think you're right. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely think you're right. He, he, uh, I'm just pulling up his tweets yeah, here, right. Uh, where he talked about it. Um, Many dead, including women and children, mindless chemical attack in Syria, area of atrocity is in lockdown and encircled by Syrian army, making it completely inaccessible to the outside world. President Putin, Russia, and Iran are responsible for backing animal Assad. That's his new nickname, I guess. Price to pay. Open area immediately for medical help and verification. Another humanitarian disaster for no reason whatsoever. Sick. And then he goes on to criticize Barack Obama. If President Obama had crossed his stated red line in the sand, the Syrian disaster would have uh, ended long ago. Animal Assad would have been history, which we've talked about on this show many times. Joe Cirincione said this was one of the big failings of the Barack Obama administration when it comes to what happened in Syria.
1: Right. And this comes on the on the heels, by the way of uh, uh, the President Trump last week saying he was ready to pull our troops out of Syria. and it's almost like Assad you know defied him by coming through with this uh, chemical attack. I would not be surprised if by the end of our program we see that response. You know it's coming uh, and um, as long as it's a surgical military strike, i um, not sure it's going to prove anything, but it'd be hard to uh, hard to disagree with, frankly. Um, the, you know, the big story that—one um, other big story, of course, is Donald Trump. Uh, talk about his tweets, Peter. He is still out there tweeting as much as he can to praise the work of Scott Pruitt. I mean, the question is, what do you have to do to get fired by Donald Trump? As we've seen, it's pretty easy, actually, right? I mean, ask— Sean Spicer, ask uh, Ryan Priebus, ask Rex Tillerson or David Shulkin or H.R. McMaster. I mean, go down the list, right? But man, Scott Pruitt is trying hard to get fired, and Donald Trump won't fire him because he likes what he's done. He likes the fact that he is gutted every strong environmental regulation passed under the last eight years, and as long as Scott Pruitt keeps helping out the big polluters, the oil companies and the coal companies and the mining companies, Donald Trump will keep him right there.
3: I I have to read this tweet because I I don't know. I mean, Donald Trump is notorious, obviously, for lying. Uh, I don't know that he's fit so many lies into one tweet, but this is what he said about Scott Pruitt. This was on Saturday evening. While security spending was somewhat more than his mm-hmm. predecessor, mm-hmm.
4: I want to mm-hmm. stop
3: there because, mm-hmm. like, th- it's it's not somewhat more; it's, it's astronomically like three more. times yeah. or
1: five times more. It's right, insane than for Gina McCarthy. Yeah.
3: Uh, all right. While security spending was somewhat more than his predecessor, Scott Pruitt has received death threats because of his bold action at EPA. By the way,
1: I don't believe that don't for either. a second. I don't. I. You know what? He could walk in here, and I wouldn't know what he looks like. Yeah. Right. Fair. I mean, seriously. I saw him once, actually, at Fox News, walking into the building at 400 North Capitol. Yeah, surrounded by security. I didn't know who he was. One of his t-
3: 20 uh, security. Yeah, detail. I didn't
1: know who he yeah. was. No, yeah, no, he b- b- BS.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I believe that. I believe. I agree with you. Uh, he goes on to say, "Record clean air and water," which there's. I mean, uh, there, there is no record.
1: No, no, no. <laughs>
3: I mean, I don't know what that means, record, clean air, and No, water. and but it's going to
1: get only worse because worse. of Scott Pruitt.
3: While saving USA billions of dollars. That's another lie. Rent was about market rate. No. Not true. Comma, travel expenses okay. No, also not true.
1: $3 million on, yeah, mm-hmm.
3: Scott is doing a great job. So let me just see here. There's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lies in 280 characters. Yeah, (laughs) like that's remarkable. Yeah, every sentence is a lie.
1: Yeah, and you know, and what is it about this guy? What what is it? The hold that he has on Donald Trump really is because Donald Trump would rather just destroy, shut down. EPA, he can't do that, and so he wants somebody in there—a one-man wrecking crew—who's going to take care of everything. And let let's just, you know, let us just remember what Scott Pruitt has done, trying to get fired by Donald Trump. I mean, there was the travel—the travel expenses, about three million dollars of flying for flying first class or renting private planes because he's so important, right? And again, uh, his personal security. Is so threatened that he has to fly in a in a in a in a private private plane. At least he stopped that. Then there's the uh, thirty five thousand dollars and thirty five thousand I keep hearing the figure keeps changing on the um, on the soundproof soundproof toll telephone booth that he had built in his office so he can make calls to his friends in the oil companies without the rest of the staff hearing him. Uh, he also requested was turned down a bulletproof vehicle. Right, a bulletproof vehicle. He wanted a bulletproof desk in his office. Uh, He um, is getting security, 19 vehicles, 19 security personnel around the clock to protect him, right? And then he's got uh, this—he also lied to the White House when they turned him down because he wanted to uh, give two of his— anti pol- anti uh, environment buddies on his staff, a great big fat pay raise. the White House turned him down, and so then he cheated with his budget to give them that pay raise by using some other funds are supposed to be for another purpose. White House not happy with that um and then he had this sweetheart deal with the fifty dollar a night room on Capitol Hill in a condo on Capitol Hill fifty dollars a night which are, which Again, we have said over and over again, look, I live on the Hill, I can tell you. It's not, not not going to be true. Lindsey Graham yesterday, in fact, said, no way. I don't think you could get a room for $50 a night. Yeah. so It doesn't he, happen. So you've got all of those sins, if you will, that Scott Pruitt has committed. And what does Donald Trump say? He's my man. He's my man. I thought uh, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana kind of summed it up best uh, yesterday.
2: I don't mean to denigrate Mr. Pruitt, but doggone it, he represents the president of the United States, and he's hurting his boss. Yeah. And it needs to stop.
1: Doggone it? Yeah. Concern it? Yeah. Damn. And by the way, ethics matter, says John Kennedy.
2: Ethics matter. Impropriety matters. (laughs) The appearance of impropriety matters. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, To the extent that you are, stop acting like a chucklehead. Stop the unforced errors. Stop leading with your chin. Stop acting like a chucklehead. It says a lot that this is one of
3: the, like, you know, the leaders of our
1: country. Yeah.
2: Uh, To the extent that you are, stop acting like a chucklehead.
1: There you go. But, you know, everybody knows what he means, right? Yeah. It's just amazing that Scott Pruitt still has that job. He's bringing nothing but... Uh, in addition to wrecking the environment and the chief anti-doing-anything-about-climate-change member of the Trump administration other than Trump himself.
3: You know what he is, Bill? You know you know what Pruitt is?
1: A chuckle chucklehead.
3: Head? He's a chuckle a chucklehead.
1: Head. Is that right? He's a yeah. chucklehead. <laughs> he's a chucklehead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's still got his job, and you know what? I think as long as Donald Trump is there. By the way, it is rumored, um, or reported, actually, uh, that uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly urged the president, urged, strongly urged the president. They got in a shouting match, uh, uh, reportedly, over uh, trying to get Trump to fire Scott Pruitt and uh, Donald Trump stuck with Scott Pruitt uh, and not with John Kelly, which now has, once again, renewed the rumors that John Kelly has told many, many friends of his. He is very frustrated in his job uh, and, and wouldn't be surprised if he stepped down, pardon me, if Donald Trump doesn't, Fire him first. Meanwhile, had a rare chance to uh, visit Fox News yesterday on Media Buzz with uh, with Howard Kurtz. And we talked about this. You know, this story has got, not gotten enough attention, I think. I hope it just doesn't go away forever. And that's all that buzz and the headlines about Sinclair News. Now, here's how it started. It started because of that great montage, and we played it for you last week, that Deadspin put together of... Um, Anchors on Sinclair stations across the country, all basically at the same time on cue, saying the same words, warning about fake news on social media, and warning that some people in the media are using their platform to push their own political agenda, which, by the way, is exactly what Sinclair News is doing. So I really dug into this. Uh, getting ready for this Fox News broadcast. And let me tell you, it is a lot worse than I thought. First of all, Sinclair, you know, it's like move over Fox News because the biggest media embarrassment and the biggest right-wing media force today may not be Fox News. It may be Sinclair Broadcast Group. Sinclair Broadcast Group control own 193 stations in this country. 193 stations. They are the biggest TV broadcaster in the country today. Now, here's the problem. You don't know a Sinclair station from any other station. If you tune into CNN, you you know you're watching CNN. You tune into NBC, you know you're watching NBC. But you tune into your local television channel, and you may think you're watching WJLA in, Chicago, in uh, Washington, D.C., no, you're not. Well, you are, but you're watching a Sinclair station. But there's no, there's nothing that says "Welcome to Sinclair" or "This is the Sinclair Broadcast Group." So they're like the stealth broadcasters, and what are they doing? They are the Trump machine. They're an extremely conservative uh, group ownership. President's a guy named David Smith. I'll tell you more about him later. Uh, in 2016. They put out uh, um, an order to their TV stations to run more positive stories about candidate Donald Trump.
3: By the way, I just want to rem- yeah. remind you, uh, it was in 2016, December of 2016, that Jared Kushner said that the Trump campaign or the Trump administration had had uh, put together a deal yes. with Sinclair to give them fair coverage, and that—, that- interview yeah. that you talk about was, was sort of the highlight of it because they gave more access to Donald Trump, to Sinclair stations, and right. the agreement was they would put the interview out without editing, without commentary, uh, without anything.
1: Yeah. So what they do that their stations is they give them stuff that are they're called must run. So we own you. People think you're just a local station. But what you're seeing is stuff that is put together by the propagandists... At the company, at the headquarters, and sent out to these stations as must-run. Today, they're doing that with commentaries by Boris Epstein. Remember, he was in the Trump campaign and the Trump White House for a little while. He's nothing but this uh, pro- Trump propagandist out there. So he does a commentary, and then these local stations have to run it. It's like they had to run this message that they that they sent out uh, to these anchors. And not only that, Peter, as you pointed out last week, if these anchors refuse to do it, right? What happens? Well, if they if they quit before their contract is up, they have to repay 40% of the compensation that they received received from Sinclair Broadcasting. So a lot of these people, they may not want to do it and there've been a lot of grumbling about it by some, of the, but they do it because they'd have to pay basically half of the money they've gotten salary from 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 uh, Sinclair for years, back to the company. Yeah, I mean, look, Just and, outrageous. And like over, the, it really is indentured servitude.
3: Over the years, what we've seen happen with media in general, right? Espe- TV is really bad about this, especially on the local level. If you're an anchor, everybody thinks that that's sort of like a glamorous job. Like they're 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 paying these people very very little money. These relatively. Days. Yeah. Re- relatively, yeah. Relatively speaking, right. of course. Right. But they're not getting paid a lot of money. So no. if yeah. you're looking at, I have to read this script versus. I have to quit and then pay all this money back? You probably can't pay that
1: money back. No. Yeah, I mean if if you had a mortgage or you have a family? If you have a family? You, yeah, you're screwed. You, yeah, exactly. You can't pay that money back? No. So, I got to say I I figured it out. I have worked for five channels, right? Uh in in my in my career so far, right? I have never never been asked to read, or to, uh, never been told I had to read something, or never been asked to read something, never been asked to express any point of view. If I were, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I would quit. Uh, I, I just wouldn't do it. But I can understand why some of these people can't do it. And if you care about democracy, if you care about free and independent media, you got to be troubled by what Sinclair is doing. Um, now, and, and I had a firsthand look at this in Chicago, when uh, I went out to uh, to to th- the great WGN in Chicago. WGN, people love GN, conservative or liberal. They love WGN in Chicago, WGN TV, because it's Chicago's own. And it's known as Chicago's own. A great guy there by the name of Paul Lisinek, uh interviewed me about my new book, From the Left. Um, but I got to tell you, in talking with uh, Paul and with other people around the station, um, there are they're, they're concerned because WGN is one of the stations that big stations that um, Sinclair now is out to buy, and that's what this thing is going to get a lot worse because Sinclair, I already mentioned, 193 stations, right, that they are looking now seeking permission to buy another 42 stations. If they get those 42 stations from the FCC, that will give them coverage in 72% of American households. 7 out of 10 households in the United States will be served by a Sinclair television station. Now, think about that 72. The current FCC rules say you cannot you cannot have coverage in more than 39% Of American households. They would go from 39% to 72%. And you're going to say, oh, the FCC would never allow them to do that. Oh, no. Guess who Sinclair Broadcast Group's best buddies are? Guess who went out to defend them last week by Twitter? Of course, President Donald Trump. They support him. He supports them. They order their stations to run more positive stories about Donald Trump. They give him better coverage. They put Boris Epstein on their payroll. And Donald Trump appoints a guy, Ajit Pai, the new head of the FCC, whose total agenda is, he has said, less regulation, deregulation. Let's take the limits off of how many stations any one company can own. And I'll bet you that Sinclair Broadcast Group under the Trump administration is going to get that go-ahead, to, to, which will enable them again to get into seventy-two percent of American households. So it's only this this whole propaganda campaign is only going to get worse, and this is so. This is the company that we ought to be really watching, Sinclair Broadcast Group, and their president. I promised more about him. Their president, David Smith, he he just uh, gave an interview, not an interview, but a uh, a telephone conversation with New York Magazine, uh, where David Smith said that print media, print media, he said, quote, serves no real purpose at all. That with print media, he said, facts and truth have been lost for a long time and are likely never to return. But basically he's saying there's nothing in print that's worthwhile at all. Uh, I wonder, which I asked yesterday on Fox News, whether uh, that includes the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Examiner, the Washington Times, the Weekly Standard, the New Review. We could mention a lot of other conservative print publications. But, you know,
3: know, the thing about those conservative print publications you just mentioned, a lot of them pride themselves on being sort of anti-Trump but still on board with the conservative agenda. So, like, it it really is personal.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. But
3: It's it's not for the good of the conservative movement. It's for the good of Donald Trump and no one else.
1: Yeah, but for him to say that, right, just shows basically his ignorance. Uh, And this is uh, David Smith, the same David Smith, by the way, uh, who, um, before he took over this company, this company, Sinclair Broadcast Group, was founded by his father, Uh, before he took over this company, uh, the St. David Smith job. He was head of an, an outfit called Cine Processors. Uh, that and sounds legit. Cine Processors. Yeah, it was legit. It was a legit porn operation. Their business was bootlegging porn movies. Uh, the first one they did was Deep Throat. They took—I I, I wouldn't call them legitimate, but—but but major studio porn movies, whatever. And they made bootleg copies of them and distributed them to outlets, you know, these little stores where you can go in, a little booth and watch the dirty movies. That was his business. This is David Smith. David Smith, who was also uh, arrested at one time for having sex with a prostitute in his car, I believe, up in Baltimore. So I guess at least when he and Donald Trump get together, they have something more to talk about than the media.
3: Yeah, yeah, fair. Fair.
1: Birds of a feather.
3: I mean, former porn Bur- guy, uh, and yet that job is less sleazy than what he's doing with Donald Trump right now, you know? Like, that's that's awful.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyhow, watch out for Sinclair Broadcast Group. Uh, one other thing before we take a, a quick break. There was a tragic fire in Trump Tower in New York over the weekend, uh, Saturday night, one a man uh, was killed in that fire. Um, six firefighters were injured in that fire. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, tweeted about it. Yeah, he tweeted about how well built Trump Tower was. Uh, of course, at the time, the man who was who was killed in the fire, we did not know he, he was taken out of the building uh, and died later in hospital. Uh, but Donald Trump didn't say anything about the firefighters who were injured there. And after that one tweet where he just talked about how well built the building was, uh, he never followed through once we found out that one person perished in that fire. never Not a word about the, the man who lost his life in Trump Tower. And by the way, not a word about the fact that there were no fire sprinklers in the residential part of Trump Tower because developer Donald Trump opposed, op- he and others, Opposed legislation requiring sprinklers in high-rise residential buildings in New York. And it was only when Trump Tower was grandfathered out of the legislation that Donald Trump dropped his opposition. So, yes, there was one person killed in that fire. Perhaps nobody would have been killed in that fire if, Donald, if there were sprinklers in that building, which there should be in every high-rise building, residential building and office building. Uh, Donald Trump missing another occasion there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, what happened to that caravan of uh, people from Central America who were heading to the border? Uh, and um, how bad is the situation down at the border? Is it really bad enough that we have to send in the National Guard? Right back here on the Bill Press Show on a Monday, April nine.
2: Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show.
1: And here we go on a Monday, April 9. Uh, Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perone. Building a better life for hardworking men and women across the country. You bet those good people who uh, give us such great service on all the retail grocery stores across the land. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, direct you to their website at UFCW ufcw.org. Uh, a uh, lot's going on here, and um, maybe even the caravan that Donald Trump was worried about uh, rushing, still rushing to the border, whatever happened to them and What's happening on other immigration issues uh, we welcome to the program from the Center for American Progress, Claudia Flores, who's the immigration campaign manager. Hi. Claudia, nice to see you. Good
0: morning, Bill. Thank you for having me this morning.
1: Thanks for coming in. We've been at it for about a half an hour already. Uh, stirring up a little uh, commentary here. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're
3: on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Comments on all different number of issues. A KG wants to weigh in on Scott Pruitt. Says if Scott Pruitt wants to get fired... He should just put a solar panel on his limo. (laughs) That should probably do it. That'll do it. Uh, Joey says, good morning, Bill. Out on the street, the company that you just talked about, Sinclair, is known as SpinClair. SpinClair. I like that. SpinClair, you know? Uh,
1: I like that, too. By the way, a little factoid. Remember years ago when Armstrong Williams got in trouble because he was on television defending George Bush's education oh, policies, yeah. and it turned out he was being paid, paid. to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sinclair Broadcasting. Of course,
3: of course. Uh, our man Romaine in Chicago says about the Trump Tower fire, that uh, well-built building was undoubtedly probably built with cheap Chinese steel and probably has asbestos throughout. That sounds like the the uh, way that Donald Trump uh, usually makes things happen. And Stoner Dude in the YouTube chat room, remember YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, mm-hmm. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, we have a chat room there, says, uh, Stoner Dude says, no sprinklers in residential area, that says it all. I'm so disgusted with Trump this morning. Uh, so there you go. Get us get your comments into the show uh, either on Twitter at BP Show or in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: Uh, so, Claudia, what happened to this uh, big caravan that was heading to the border that Donald Trump was so alarmed about and trying to get us all alarmed about? Is it still on its way? Have they crossed the border, reached the border? What's going on?
0: So what's happened, Bill, and NPR actually did a great reporting on this, is many of these families are actually in Mexico right now. Um, some of them are- um, They're mainly uh, from where? They're mainly from Central America. So there's about 1,000 people, mostly families, children, um, and they've already you know, left their countries. They fear persecution. Um, they fear violence, and they've left, and they've been in Mexico for some time, and they are looking at seeking asylum protections, but that's obviously uh, something very difficult to do, So so they're not- crossing as President Trump has sort of fabricated this crisis. Um, the caravan happens every year, um, and it's a way to show, um, just to create awareness about the plight of immigrants, particularly those coming from Central America.
1: Do they plan to stay in Mexico?
0: So I think there's there's much to be told about their plans. They are people that are in transit. Um, you know, some mostly stay in Mexico. Um, the United States has actually very secure borders, and um, um, over the past Several years, it's become increasingly difficult to obtain asylum. So many of these families are, in fact, seen in Mexico. Some of them may choose to return to their home countries or they might be looking at other places to go. But the reality is that these families are currently in transit, um, but they have not made it to the United States. There isn't an invasion that President Trump is uh, uh, trying okay. to, to fabricate. Yeah.
1: All right. So what is Mexico's role here and how do they handle the? I mean, the other thing that. Uh, the president was saying last week he was attacking Mexico, saying this is a problem for us because Mexico is not doing its job. Uh, uh, does Mexico accept these immigrants, or?
0: So here's where it gets complicated, right? So, so Mexico has been collaborating with the United States for many years now. Um, and in fact, in 2014, as you may recall, under the Obama administration, when many of these Central American children were crossing. Uh, Mexico was actually working with the United States. And some of these children were, in fact, deported from Mexico to their home countries. Um, so Mexico has also set in place, um, you know, strict rules when it comes to, to immigrant stain. But but the reality is that many of these families have um, credible fear of persecution in their home country. So by you know both international and domestic law, um, and I'm not as familiar with Mexican law, but I know in the United States, you have to give at least an opportunity for uh, folks to present their claim for asylum. So that is what's happening also in Mexico. Some of these families are claiming asylum in Mexico. It doesn't mean that they're going to get asylum. In fact, many don't, um, but the reality is that the Mexican authorities have, have not in any way or form so it easier for these families. In fact, many of them are still um, like I mentioned, with a lot of uncertainty and, and faced with the reality that they have nowhere to go because the cons- the circumstances in their home country are so terrible that they were forced to flee.
1: Right. Okay. So this threat of this caravan was so real, according to Donald Trump, that we needed to send reinforcements to the border. We needed to send the military to the border, which sort of morphed into, well, maybe not the U.S. military, we'll just do the National Guard Calling on states to put up some National Guard troops, and the first state to comply and respond was Texas. No surprise; Uh, they're already at the border. Here is General Tracy Norris from the uh, Texaco National Guard, Texas National Guard rather, not Texaco. Uh, (laughs) Maybe the same thing. Um, Who is saying, responding to the question, are they going to be armed?
0: Depending on the mission set, a soldier will be armed, or soldier or airman will be armed for self-defense.
1: So they will be armed, and uh, this is on Friday. How soon would they be on the border?
0: With the authorization and under the authority of Governor Abbott, this deployment has begun with the movement of equipment and troops today.
1: So they're already already on the move on Friday. They are already there on the border. I don't know whether any from any other states has come in. Uh, But the question then is, I want to discuss with you, but first, um, here is Tom Bossert from the Department of Homeland Security uh, talking about the question is, okay, so these troops, these National Guard are on the border. What will they be doing? Tom Bossert.
2: The Guard can do whatever the federal government in this case is authorized to do. What we've chosen to do with them is to augment the Customs and Border Protection officers who are so well trained to interdict these border crossers.
1: So, what does that mean? There are some limits to what as to what federal troops can do, aren't there?
0: There are limits, and I think at this point, the reality is that the Trump administration has failed to answer the most basic question as to like why we are sending these troops. We're sending nearly four thousand troops to the border when we have seen the lowest um, historic you know border crossings in forty six years. Um, the numbers are as low as thirty two thousand a year. Um, and, and the reality is that... The, uh, so there are fewer people uh, are fewer coming people across coming in
1: now than in 46 years? In
0: 46 years? years. So before the Great Recession. So if you start looking at um, you know the need for these troops, right now Border Patrol agents have been arresting on average 17 people per day. So now you're sending... You know, uh, potentially 4,000 people to the border, and the challenge here is that a lot of these families, like I mentioned, more than a third of those crossing the border right now are families and children who are turning themselves in. They are seeking out Border Patrol when they're crossing because many of them are, you know, fearing persecution. They are mostly asylum seekers. So to be there, a need uh, because there is a threat. It just simply isn't true. There's also, from an economic standpoint, um, this is another. Bill that you know is going to be paid by the taxpayer. Um, the Pentagon has said, or Secretary Mattis has indicated that the Pentagon would be uh, paying for this. But even when um, you know in the past we've sent uh, some some troops, the cost has been nearly one point three billion. So th- these are huge amounts of money. That if you look at where we should be investing, perhaps sending troops to the border isn't the best idea at this point.
1: So are they doing like backup support for the border agents?
0: So, so they can, you know, sometimes they can just be standing. I mean, the reality is that they are there to support. But like I mentioned, right now, Border Patrol seems to have it covered. Um, in fact, there's been interviews of even some Texas ranchers who mentioned that they haven't seen people crossing through their land. Um, there's also that issue of federal government being in private property and how that's going to impact border communities, right? So, so the reality is that it's not very clear what they're going to be doing.
1: Um, there are uh, defenders of this program, right, who say, well, so Donald Trump's sending the National Guard. So did Barack Obama. So did George W. Bush. That's true, isn't
0: it? That is true. The difference is actually substantial when it comes to looking at the the circumstances that they were facing. So back when Bush was sending uh, troops to the border, we had more than 126,000 people crossing. Um, similarly, when President Obama sent sent troops, you had more than you know, more than twice or three times the amount of people crossing than what we see now. So uh, if there was a motive at that point, um, in fact, uh, some of those troops were actually assisting with um, is, is some of the people th- uh, that were seeking a, asylum. Um, you know, that that's something, that's a role that, that that the troops could be playing, right? They could be assisting from a humanitarian standpoint, but that's not what the Trump administration wants to do. The Trump administration just wants a sort of strong military border presence, and it's frankly just red meat for his base in the time of an election year, um, and, you know, there's no indication that this is going to be effective policymaking or border policymaking.
1: What happens to, um, you mentioned these people, and I've heard too, that they... They want to be arrest- stopped. They want to be arrested. They seek out the border agents, right? Yes. So so that they can turn themselves in and seek asylum. And then what happens to them?
0: So t- so typically they would have to meet with an asylum officer. Like I mentioned, they would have to have strong claims. Um, one of the first steps is a credible fear interview. Back in 2014, when um, some of these Central American families were mm-hmm. crossing, more than 90% of them were found to be under credible fear of persecution. Um, So they would have to be interviewed. So more
1: than 90% passed that test. So
0: more than 90% passed that test. They did so in 2014. The circumstances haven't necessarily changed. They're in in similar families crossing. And and they're also vetted in a way, right? Because they have to be interviewed. Um, Many of them are actually detained at some point um, You know, if, if they don't have those claims. So so it's, it's not that it's sort of like a walk around the park. You know, the reality is that there is a process in place, and many of these families who seek asylum end up not getting asylum, so then they are at fee- uh, at risk of getting deported back to their home countries.
1: But, I mean, those who—so so how long does this process take, and what happens to them? I mean, do they, do they put them in a—are there facilities where they house them while they're processing this process or did they release them to their families or did they just let them go or
0: so um, the, the Trump administration has drastically changed um, some of the, um, the orders that um, you know some of these family detention facilities as you saw recently they rescinded um, uh, uh, excuse me uh, one of the policies related to holding pregnant women in detention. So many of these families are in detention while their cases are are being presented to a judge. But because of also backlogs in our immigration courts, that means that they could be detained for very long periods of time.
1: That's what I'm wondering. It seems to me that this process does take time.
0: It's a process that takes time. It's a process. It could take months. In some cases, it could take years. I mean, it depends on what claims they have. And in the
1: meantime, they're held in these detention facilities?
0: Many of those families are. Um, And the Trump administration has made it increasingly harder for vulnerable populations to be released. Um, that is why they're holding pregnant women. They're holding asylum seekers. Um, in fact, on Friday, um, if you saw the through DOJ, they also announced that, um, one, they're going to be putting, uh, on, on Friday they announced that they're going to be exploring the use of military facilities to, to detain um, more immigrants, and that would include asylum seekers. So it is of concern, right? I think it's it's a lot of posturing this idea that The administration is is being hard on on immigration crackdown. But it's it's like Trump is looking for a national crisis, and there isn't one at this point.
3: I want to play a couple of clips. We had these on Friday. We didn't get a chance to play them. But this is Donald Trump when he was in West Virginia at the end of last week. And he was talking about ICE and sort of how they've handled this quote-unquote crisis up until now. And just listen to the language that he uses.
2: The ICE people, they're fantastic, and they're tough. And by the way, that's the only thing that these thugs understand. They don't understand, oh. oh, isn't he an intelligent young man? Isn't he wonderful? He studied so hard in school. They, don't, they only went tough. That's all they understand.
3: And then he goes on to say. But, these by
1: the guys way. Are so m- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, just the use of the word thug. Thug. again. Thug. Right? But it, Cr- Criminals, rapists, murderers, thugs. Yeah. Any, it, anybody with brown skin.
3: If, if you can believe it, it actually gets worse.
2: These ice guys are so much tougher than them. And they're grabbing them by the necks and throwing them into the paddy wagons. And the the town, the people are clapping and screaming. Their town's been liberated. It's like it's a war.
3: Like, that's the rhetoric that Donald Trump is using.
1: It reminds me of the time when he told the police officers, don't worry about hitting their heads, right? You know, don't, don't, yeah. don't. Give don't, them a rough don't, ride. Don't protect them, right? So, yeah. But just.
0: I mean, to me, it's, it's like, should we be threatened by nine-year-old children? I mean, is that really the real threat? I mean, ICE right now Come has on, the been... only
1: language they understand. <laughs> the only language those nine-year-old thugs understand, right? Yeah. Is tough ICE agents. It's just, yeah, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, sorry. I-, I would just say that, you know, it's, it is concerning. We've seen, um, you know, increasing number of cases from parents being arrested on their way to, to send their children to daycare. There's widespread fear and anxiety right now in immigrant communities. Police officers themselves, I'm saying that there isn't that level of community trust that they need to do their duties. So it's being felt in communities. You know, it's, it's the impact of the rhetoric uh, being played out through policies. And it's really harmful, particularly to um, U.S. But, citizen children.
1: But it seems, yeah, and I think that the, the most important thing, the that, that, that message that you brought this morning is the, this is a manufactured crisis, Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I think Donald Trump, in a sense, Donald Trump may just be pissed because there are not enough people coming across to justify his wall. So he's got to pretend, right, that there's this invasion, pretend that there's this real threat and danger uh, to get people riled up uh, and um, send in the National Guard, send in the military mm-hmm. and build the freaking wall. Um, what's the latest on the wall?
0: So Congress did not fund a, 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 the wall. They, Wait a minute. They, the
1: Republican-controlled Congress, the
0: Republican-controlled Congress, couldn't. They they funded a fraction, which was nothing compared to the fifteen billion that he was seeking, um, and it was for fencing. It was not the wall that he had presented to his base, uh, because you know Congress recognizes, um, you know, even Congressman Republican Congressman Will Hurd, who represents mostly a border district, has said that. Um, you know, people aren't crossing the border. Um, 40% of undocumented immigrants in this country are visa overstayers, right? So we wanna talk about real border security, then you can be looking at processes that make it more effective to to track, you know, people that would overstay visas, or you can look at a whole variety of policies, but putting a wall, it's not, you know, it, it hasn't served for deterrence. And, it's actually dangerous for border communities. Um, it's problematic, particularly for asylum seekers. And even from a climate standpoint, you know, you have a lot of dangerous species that live in those communities. And all of a sudden, you're going to, you know, put this wall and interrupt their habitat. I mean, from so many different angles, there there is no justification to put a border wall.
1: Do you think it will ever be built?
0: I, you know, I there, there's much to to. He said about this presidency. I, I think it, it, it's up to Congress, but I don't. I don't think so. I, I think it would be um, a massive waste of taxpayer funding, um, in I, I don't think a, a, a. I think a clear. I don't think any Republican really wants to go into an election year saying that they spent fifteen billion to to fund a brick wall.
1: I'd, I'd still bet your money it's not going to be built. That's my my my. Well, let's hope not. Rate. I
0: don't.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, now, meanwhile. Um, here we are again, we get all excited about something and spend a lot of time talking about it, and then we move on and forget about it. What's happening with the Dreamers program? What's happening with DACA, and why aren't we talking about more about it now?
0: So, so there's nothing for Dreamers right now. Um, there's nearly 800,000 people who um, are, are gonna be losing their protection, there have been some legal court victories that have allowed some but it's a still very amount, a small amount of dreamers compared to the rest of the population I mean, to it renew does,
1: the program still does exist with those people who were in it correct no new people but.
0: no new people some renewals um, again it depends also on processing times we um you know the agency recently re- released numbers that shows that they've been processing some applications uh, but Uh, You know, it's a problem. Um, There's a lot of mixed-status families. Um, You know, nearly six million U.S. citizen children actually live with at least one parent who is unauthorized. So when you start looking at the impact of this inaction, it means that a lot of families, you know, American families, are not being protected under this administration.
1: So is there there any pending congressional action to... um you know, uh, make to, to fix the problem to make the pro to make the program uh, permanent and and uh, and legal, if you will, or if the Congress just walked away from it.
0: C- Congress and I think you know Republicans could pass this any day. You know they control the agenda. They yeah. well, they control could passed our right. it last
1: year, but they didn't. It,
0: and, you know, and and they can do it, but right now Congress has a. Uh, one of the strategies to get a potential Dream Act was to look at the spending process, and they pass a massive bill. They,
1: yeah,
0: um, you know, w- indicated it. right without it. So I think right now it, it's tough for Dreamers. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, there is more money for detention. There's more money for ICE agents. Um, in fact, I was reading an article recently that you know Border Patrol was struggling to even find agents to to work. You know, in terms of the hiring process. So it's, it's it's a challenge, you know. It this agency but has. But is there a
1: time? Sorry, is there a time, if Congress has not acted, that the program will just expire? Will just
0: run out of, you know, the clock will run out. You know, once permits start to expire, I mean, that's that's the real question. I mean, because they, they're in
1: the program, they have to renew what every.
0: So, it, it the every the, two years every that, two years every yes, uh, but you know, people are applying and the two years start to to be counted based on on when you receive your your approval. So in some cases, people are applying early right now because they know that, you know, we don't know how long this sort of legal battle uh, will be um, continued, right? Because that's, that's the other thing. As soon as a court decision comes out that says, you know, these individuals can no longer apply for the program, then that's it. You know, the people are left in limbo. So right now, Dreamers are almost putting all their, their luck and their future at the hands of, of judges because there hasn't been any indication that this administration or Congress will do anything for them.
1: Yeah, well, of course, Donald Trump has said he loves the dreamers, and he will take care of the dreamers, and they have uh, nothing to uh, to worry about, right? I'm sure you...
0: Yes, yeah, so old talk, no action, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, as on, as on uh, many fronts, indeed. Claudia, thanks so much for the good work you're doing over there. Center for American Progress It's AmericanProgress.org, just one of the uh, areas where CAP is way out uh, in front. Uh, Thanks to the good work of Claudia Flores. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, what's happening with all the uh, turbulence down at the uh, Trump White House and how soon before uh, the uh, cruise missiles fall on Syria? Ray Locker joins us. From USA Today, friend of Bill, for the next hour, and all of you will be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Preston and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the bill press show live at youtube.com slash the bill press show congress is back in town
1: watch out hold on to your wallet folks (laughs) up to no good yeah Uh, jeff zuckerberg's coming to town too boy he's going to be put through the grill um, by the senate and the house committees it's going to be a big week here and we started off with the bill press show on this monday april 9 great to see you today thanks for climbing on board as we reach out to you coast to coast Joining you coast to coast, wherever you are in this great land of ours, we are there with you online, on the radio, on television, with all the news of the day. There's a lot to go through and a lot to look forward to um, this week, particularly uh, down at the White House and here on Capitol Hill. A man who is on top of all of it for USA Today is the Washington Enterprise editor. I'm still not sure what that title means, but um, (laughs) our good friend Ray Locker here. As a friend of Bill for the hour, hello, Ray, good to see you. Great to you be here. You probably don't know what the title means either, right? It means
5: whatever you want it to be. That's yeah. why I picked it myself. Oh,
1: you so you can <laughs> do anything you want, right?
5: Within within with,
1: limits. Within limits. Yeah, which are said
5: all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And broken all the <laughs> yes. time. I'm sure. Uh, at any rate, we'll get into it with uh, with all of you and look forward to hearing your comments on the news of the day, whether it's what's happening in Syria, what's happening with Scott Pruitt, or what's happening with Sinclair Broadcast Group? Oh man, lots to dig into. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at bpshow. As we always say, don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. We got to keep up our end of the uh, uh, end of the traffic uh, as well. So we jump right into it, but first. <laughs> This is the Full Court Press. Yes. You got it. Just a couple of
3: other stories making news. Well, Bill, it's a tradition unlike any other, and it ended yesterday in Augusta, the Masters. Yeah. Masters Sunday, one of the only times I actually watch golf on TV. Patrick Reed won the Masters tournament. Totally
1: unknown to me, but totally unknown guy. Well, I actually, it, it
3: turns out, a lot of people know him in the golf world. He is one of the most disliked people. On in the tour. Oh, really? For a lot of different reasons. There's uh. a lot of speculation about his college uh, experience and what he did at University of Georgia. And then he left University of Georgia, hmm. but apparently he's a well-known cheater oh. when he was in when he was in uh, oh, in no. college. But he also just. There are a lot of people who don't like him very
1: much because he's sort of a pain in the butt. Wait, but Cheating on the golf courses? Does anybody do I that? I declare I've never heard of shock, such actions. Shock.
3: Uh, but he, this is his first big major win. And by the way, it should be pointed out, this is the fourth straight winner of the Masters that has not won a major before. The last four years, the people, the person that has won the uh, mm. Masters uh, hadn't won before. Now, of course, you're probably wondering, as was everybody else, how did Tiger Woods do? Yes, because I was, he did compete. Yeah, he did right. finish one over par. But he had, you know, like, that's not terrible for Tiger Woods if you look at the, the scores that he's put up in previous years. So congratulations to Patrick Reed. It's a big, big day for him. Uh, he held off Ricky Fowler there at the end. That's right. The Masters, uh, it's Monday, so let's take a look at the box office. How did the box office do over the weekend? Number one is the movie "A Quiet Place," a horror movie, uh, which I actually saw. It's uh, it's about uh, uh, aliens or monsters that, that that attack purely on sound, so the, right. the most yeah. of the movie is in total silence. <laughs> Uh, But it pulled in $50 million to beat Ready Player One. Yeah, I
1: talked to some people yesterday who saw it, hated it.
3: Really? Yeah. I didn't hate it. I thought it was interesting. I didn't love it either, but uh, I thought it was a very interesting movie. Uh, And finally, are you ready for the latest trend to hit exercise junkies around the country? They're picking up on a Scandinavian uh, trend called plogging, where you go for a run, and as you go for a run, you pick up a little trash. So while you're running, if you see litter on the ground, you stop, you pick it up, you keep, you run until you hit the next trash can, and then you throw it away.
1: Or you could carry a bag with
3: you. Or you could carry a bag with you. That would also, or you just carry it with you.
1: So when you see these people wearing uh, the prison jumpsuits on the side of the highway picking up trash? That's different. Is that what they're doing? Are <laughs> they
3: plugging? That's a different thing. That's a different thing. That's <laughs> totally different.
1: We're going to plug out of here, right? Yeah. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Monday, April 9. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Welcome uh, to The Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Ray Locker from uh, USA Today here is a friend of Bill for the hour, joining us. And we reach out to you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash Show. On uh, television, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area. On WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. And again, a great shout-out to uh, all of the friends out there in Chicago. In Darien, Illinois, at the great Frugal Muse bookstore. What a wonderful crowd Uh, turned out Wednesday night. We had a great time. Uh, It was good to see all of you um, talking about uh, Illinois politics, national politics. And, of course, a little bit about the new book, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. Find out more on our website, BillPressShow.com. And a big salute to Sean Kasten, uh, the Democratic candidate for Illinois' 6th Congressional District, who uh, came out as well, uh, joining me there at Frugal Muse Bookstore. And then a shout-out to all of our good friends in Santa Fe uh, at the Collected Works Bookstore on Friday night. Another good crowd, another great time. Uh, Ray Locker. As an author, you know what it's like when you go out there. It's pump, fun. Pumping your book. It's fun. You get to meet real people and talk about real things. and
5: Yeah, who like of to Washington. read and talk about stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, get out of Washington and boy, this, yeah, it's a little different out there, yeah. a little more to the real world yeah. right, than we're used to. So, Ray, I got to ask you the president, uh, we now know the big event of the year in Washington is the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Um, he did not show up last year, and not He's coming. Not again going this, this year. year. Yeah, you know. Well, I think this is going
5: to be a tradition. Um, you don't think he'll make it at all? Huh? No, I'm. I don't really. I mean, what happens after the midterms next year? What that? What is that going to be like? You <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, who knows? He's probably not going to want to hang out with them. And the truth is a lot of the people who normally go to this event don't really want to spend that much time with him either.
4: Um,
1: (laughs) So so (laughs) no feelings hurt, right? No.
5: I mean, you compare it to last year with the years when Obama was president. It was a lot more celebrity filled. Last year was a more downbeat affair, and I think it will be more that way this year. Although I think this time now some representatives from the administration will actually be there. Last year they didn't show up at all.
1: right. Uh, He did, uh, from what uh, I saw, I was out of town, that the White House said that he was going to encourage senior administration executives to attend, cabinet members and others, and that the press secretary would be at the head table. Right. There you go. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) What a promotion. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, it may get—there were so many complaints about the dinner—just— Totally getting out of hand, right? Right, and losing what its original purpose was—to get the people you cover and the people who cover the White House together one night for one night of camaraderie, if you right. will, right? And it had gotten away from that.
5: Well, it be and now maybe yeah. back to its original partly purpose, partly because of the popularity of the previous president with certain people who would go to those events, and it wasn't necessarily the dinner itself. But it were all these ancillary events that popped up around the dinner, that people were trying to glom mm-hmm. on to the fact that so many people were in D.C., that they would have these events. And that created the impression that the whole thing had gone out of control.
1: Right, right. Um, how, how long do you think, if it hasn't already happened, before American cruise missiles hit Syria?
5: You know, I mean, I think that's a tough one. You know, you have John Bolton starting today as National Security Advisor. I'm sure his impulse would be to do something like that. But we did that a year ago. Yeah. And to great fanfare, um, it was meant as, you know, a pinprick attack that would show that we were serious. Since then, there have been eight more chemical weapons attacks. uh, Have there since then? Yeah, that people have tracked. We had that story. It's out on our website right now. Yeah. so what would another attack do? I mean, that was one of the calculations that the Obama administration was making on a lot of these things. We'd like to do something. It would make us feel good, like we're doing something. But once you've done that, then what? Mm-hmm. And we did it last year. It created somewhat of an impression, but I think the effect of that has faded.
1: I remember that attack at the uh, air base last year, a Syrian mm-hmm. air base, right? But um, they didn't hit the runways. By the end of the day,
5: the planes were flying out of that airbase, right? Like even within hours. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it was to send a message. But what was that message? Well, we're serious. But then, you know, they're like you said, they were flying out of that airbase within the day.
1: What um, What struck people as unusual about Donald Trump's response to this one was when he tweeted out, "You got it was it's it's all the fault of Bashar al-Assad
5: and Vladimir Putin." For the first time. First time that yeah. he
1: said anything critical mm-hmm. in any context about Putin. What does that tell us? Who knows? Right? Who knows
5: what it tells us? I mean, yeah. it, uh, he could do something today that totally contradicts that. But it seems, that at least in this case, the message is getting through. But in many ways, he's enabled that to happen. You know, he's said, well, let the Russians do their thing in certain parts of Syria, you know, where they've been for decades. Um and let chips fall where they may. Now we're seeing where they're falling.
1: And I guess the blame is because Putin still supports Assad. Not that Russian troops had anything to do with the chemical weapons Correct. as such, right? right? But just he, he supports the regime, mm-hmm. which which is which is using them. You know, Ben Cardin, a senator from um, uh, from neighboring Maryland here, uh, yesterday um, talked about the fact that he and um, Well, let's let's hear from him. Uh, He's talking about the need for an international response.
2: Everything points to that this was uh, controlled by President Assad and uh, the, uh, again, violation of international norms, and there needs to be an international response.
1: International response, likely, what would that... What would it be? be? Who would do it?
5: Would the Russians be involved? I doubt it. You know, are you going to get a bunch of other countries to go in there and get close to the Russian troops that are there that might precipitate a problem? Are the Turks going to be involved? The Turks got issues with what we're doing in Syria, and we have issues with what Turkey is doing in Syria as well. It's There's no easy answer.
1: No, it seems, yeah, that um, also getting the United Nations, because you say Russia could veto anything, mm-hmm. France has said that they may respond. But if we're talking about anything, we're talking about um, what they what, what's the word that they use? Uh, targeted, um, it's just almost like antiseptic, but right. military strikes, mm-hmm. um, cr- mu- missile strikes, meaning no troops on the ground. or no. Right.
5: Yeah. I mean, beyond the 2,000 troops that we have in Syria, but not on the ground near where these missiles would strike. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they call it a surgical strike. That's the word I was you looking know, for, I, the I surgical strike. Right. Yeah. If I'm going to have surgery, I don't want to involve a 500-pound <laughs> bomb. No, thank you. Right.
1: <laughs> Uh, so um, jumping around here, I know, but
5: what does Scott Pruitt have to do to get fired? Um, probably propose some environmentally friendly regulations. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, put some uh, new rules on uh, smokestacks, or you know, yeah. clean, get Before, rid of coal. Yeah,
1: but as long as he's in the environmental destruction. Uh, mode, right? Yeah. Looks like Donald Trump says, anything you do, Scott, I'm behind you.
5: Well, it sure seems like it for now. Yeah. You know how the pressure builds on these things. Uh, there are enough people who are starting to look at him, and it's not just that he does things that, you know, fossil fuel industries like, you know, that's his prerogative. That's what this administration said it would do, and they're living up to that. But it's all the other stuff that creates at least a whiff of corruption or something that seems odd. And there's an increasing sense that something's a little off with Scott Pruitt.
1: Right. That he. That what I saw that he was turned down for this, but he requested a bulletproof car and a bulletproof desk in yeah. his office. You know, and he's got nineteen <laughs> security people and nineteen vehicles twenty four seven because yeah. he feels so threatened. Right. Who, who the hell even
5: knows? I mean, what he's just the, some balding white guy that you yeah. see. I mean, this town's yeah. filled with him. Yeah. Um, I'm
1: telling you, he could walk in most restaurants in this town; right. nobody would know who he
5: was. Pretty much, well, yeah, you know. Right. I mean, they know who he was when he had 19, oh, 19 people yeah, with yeah, him. Exactly. You know? Otherwise,
3: so that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you guys have been around long enough. We, I mean, you see these things happen all the time. We've all been out to dinner when some cabinet official or yeah, somebody yeah. is there, and the Secret Service. Or their, or whoever their protection is, right? Well, very, very casually, very quietly, just come in. You'll see them, sp- like, sort of set up by the door, and then they just come right in and sit down. It's they really kind of have it down. There's not a whole lot of commotion involved with these things. But Scott Pruitt has completely changed that. I mean, he right. wanted sirens when he went out to dinner yeah, one night. Yeah, yeah, just right. This whole motorcade. I mean, you think it was the president of the United States going to dinner?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: No, it's, it's it's really kind of gone to his head. Well, somebody tried to bring him back down to earth yesterday, and this was uh, John Kennedy, who's become one of the most quotable people Mm -hmm. now in Washington, John Kennedy from Louisiana, uh, talking about Scott Pruitt on Face the Nation.
2: I don't mean denigrate, Mr. Pruitt, but doggone it, he represents the President of the United States, and it is hurting his boss, Mm -hmm. and it needs to stop. Stop it. Stop
1: it, Scott Pruitt. Just stop it. You're hurting your boss. And uh, uh, Senator Kennedy goes on, ethics
2: matter. I love this quote. Ethics matter? Impropriety matters. The appearance of impropriety matters. Uh, to the extent that you are, stop acting like a chucklehead. Stop the unforced errors. Stop leading with your chin.
5: That's remarkable.
2: That's got no
1: chucklehead. Chucklehead.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you have heard several Republican voices uh, in Congress just come out and say this is not good. Not a good look.
5: Three House members, Republican House members, have called for his resignation. I think that's a sign of uh, kind of the ice is starting to crack. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get some more revelations. There's a limit to what people are willing to accept, even if they like the policies. Yeah, yeah. You look like a hypocrite if you support this, if you made a big deal about anything having to do in an Obama administration, which doesn't come close to anything like this, then you you got to say enough is enough,
1: I guess his chances of um, being appointed attorney general uh, are not as great as they m- months might have been. Oh, he can get
5: appointed. Okay. He just can't get confirmed. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, right. That's the word. <laughs> because he made it uh, no bones about the no secret about the fact that he wanted to be, to, yeah. to take Jeff Sessions' place. Oh, well,
5: he's considered to be the biggest leaker of the Scott Pruitt will be attorney general um, rumors.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been reported, maybe you've probably reported, that General Kelly, the chief of staff, urged the president to fire Scott Pruitt, and the mm-hmm. president decided to stick with Pruitt, as we know. Um, what does that mean about John Kelly's position?
5: Uh, he doesn't New have here. as much influence as one would think a chief of staff would. Um, you know, it's hard to gauge where these rumors come from or these reports attributed to unnamed sources. Uh, You know, we hear many of the same things, but the president talks to a lot of people Mm -hmm. outside the White House. I mean, he gets on the phone, he calls somebody he knows somewhere else, tells him stuff. That person gets on the phone and calls a member of the media. Um, So he's clearly thinking about this. It's not something that's made up. And, you know, we've been around long enough to know that these things come, you know, out because there are various reasons. And there's something happening there.
1: So who is the chief leaker in the White House? Is it Kellyanne Conway?
5: You know, I mean. Of course, you won't reveal your sources, will you? Right. <laughs> She's rumored to be one of them. But, I, but maybe not to some of the people I know, but to a lot of people like on the conservative side, people believe that.
1: Right. Well, if without identifying any one person, um, do you agree that this is like the leakiest White House we've ever seen?
5: It's pretty close. I mean, we've had White Houses that have leaked or administrations that have leaked. I mean, the Nixon administration had tons of leaks. It drove him crazy. Sure. That's why he was surveilling
1: people. That's what brought him down. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Um, You know, and I think you remember seeing a lot of leaks out of the Reagan White House. When you have an administration with competing power centers inside the White House, there tend to be more leaks. Administrations that are more cohesive, I'd say uh, George W. Bush's was. Um, the Obama inspiration was too. You see fewer of those leaks,
1: mm-hmm. uh, but certainly there are a lot of them out of the Trump. Well,
5: election. because yeah. people see what's happening and they need to tell somebody. They have this basic human need to say, I, "I can't believe what I just saw." You have to know what's happening here, you know. And I think the people who work for the White House, you know, believe in the president. They believe in what he's trying to do. They believe in the United States. And some of them kind of hit a limit in what they're willing to accept, and they talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Another uh, another departure from the White House this week, Michael Anton, who was the press su- press spokesperson for the National Security Council, right? right? Um, is this somebody who, uh, um, I don't think he said this, but I was wondering, is this a sign that not everybody's happy with John Bolton coming in as national security advisor?
5: Well, I think the timing speaks for itself. Yeah. right. The new guy comes in and you leave, Um yeah, you know, I, maybe, maybe he believed that uh, Bolton deserves his own pick. Um, maybe Bolton didn't want to have him around. but Or maybe he said, I can't work for this guy. I can't work for this guy. Uh, I mean, John Bolton has his share mm-hmm. of people who don't like him. Um, he has his share of people who do like him. But you definitely know what you're getting with this guy. And if you don't like that, you're not going to stick around. Right.
1: Ray, uh, Ray Locker is with us here from USA Today, Washington Enterprise Editor. Uh, USAToday.com will be joined shortly by Nancy Cook from Politico. Covers the White House for Politico. We'll get more into the doings down at the White House uh, from Nancy Cook. In the meantime, uh, I just want to be sure before I uh, enter this little uh, subject area in the news. Um, is USA Today owned by the Sinclair Broadcast Group? No. Okay, <laughs> then we can proceed. Yeah, <laughs> I do it anyway. So, um, this little flap last week about Sinclair putting out this memo to that and, and telling all their anchors they had to read this little warning about right. fake news popping up on social media and some people using their media platform to push their own political agenda, and then Deadspin did I think a great public service. Mm. By putting that montage together, do we still have that around? Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. Okay, Um, of all these anchors at the same time, all across the country, in 193, if you please, TV stations, uh, all mouthing the same. Propaganda, if I may use the word. The sharing of
2: biased and
5: false, false news has become, become all too common, too common
3: on social media. On
5: social media. More alarming, some media, some
0: simply are true without
5: checking facts
2: first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda control exactly what people think. And This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 This is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
1: It's like a hostage video. Yeah. Isn't it? Really? Just about yeah. a sincere... Yeah, the gun to the head. Right. right? What's this What's this mean for a, a free and independent media?
5: Well, it means uh, the folks at Sinclair have a lot of money and buy a bunch of TV stations, and I think they're hastening the end of local news. I mean, uh, I think it has limited credibility sometimes anyway. Um... You know, the people who watch those shows a lot of times tend to be older and don't have, you know, options or they don't think they have options, and people are going to find more options. I think it's going to drive people away from that product.
1: Plus, you know, it's 193 stations now. They're in the business. Or they, they, they put in their application for buying 42 more, right. uh, including I visited there last week, the great WGN-TV in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Chicago's own, they call it. Right. Pretty soon may not be Chicago's own any longer. Um but you mentioned so these are the local news stations like WJLA in in here right. in Washington. The the what I find is particularly dangerous about this is if you're watching Channel Seven, you don't know you're watching Sinclair broadcast.
5: No, you have no idea who it's owns that channel. It's a local
1: news, right? Right. Now, if you tune into CBS or NBC or CNN, you know you're watching that. But mm-hmm. with a and that's true of 193 other stations in the country. So people think. This is just our local news guys. And then suddenly, you know, they've got this must-run documentary right. about the deep state. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so that Sinclair is really using its power to push its political agenda through these stations.
5: Well, that's one of the reasons why we had the fairness doctrine for so long about having balanced viewpoints on uh, television. That went away in the mid-'80s. Um, Thank and you, I Ronald think, Reagan. I think yeah. we're seeing the kind of cumulative effect of that.
1: Uh, any doubt in your mind that the Trump FCC will grant Sinclair Broadcasting the, the right to pick up these 42 no. stations? No, right. I
5: mean, I think it's going to happen. You know, and really, it's a sad commentary on the decline of the Tribune Company. It is, uh, which yeah. was you know a really respected name in media circles. Uh, you know, they spun off their newspapers into this abomination called Trunk now. You know, they've laid off people in their Washington bureaus. The Chicago Tribune doesn't even have a Washington correspondent anymore. Um, so they've done a terrible job of taking care of their business. And as a result, people all around the country who depend on, you know, these media sources for information aren't getting the quality of information they used to get.
1: So uh, New York Magazine wanted to do, uh, in in the light of this, wanted to do a, um, uh, an interview, a um, profile uh, and talking about this whole flap with David Smith, the president of Sinclair Broadcast Group. Um, They called him. He declined the interview, and he told them in the telephone conversation, which was recorded. He knew that. Mm. Um, His comment was that the print media, this is the president of Sinclair Broadcast, print media, quote, serves no real purpose uh, anymore. Um, He went on to say that about print media, facts and truth, have been lost for a long time and are likely never to return in the uh, print media. As someone uh, who is a a representative and a champion of the print media with USA Today, your response?
5: (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's pretty outrageous, isn't it? Yeah, it's outrageous. I mean, we we hear this stuff from people like that all the time. Um, He's going to come and he's going to go. And we're going to keep doing what we do, and people are going to find good information and trust it. And I don't really worry about that. Um, you know, I think I think it's damaging, to, you know, to what we do for a living, but I don't think it's a permanent damage. You know, Sinclair will probably get it gobbled up by another company, and they'll change their policy, and people will kind of go on their merry way.
1: Just, just for, the, you know, I, I don't know any, anybody else in television who would say print media is not worth a damn. It's not even worth looking at. I, 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 well, they get
5: all their information from us. That's where they get their ideas. <laughs> right,
1: right. No, I was going to go there. So, yeah, what about all the stories that television does which are based on stories that first appear in
5: print, right? They would have basically nothing to put on TV if it wasn't for that. Um, you know, from a very early time in my career, I remember working in a newspaper in Montgomery, Alabama, and hearing them read my story on the <laughs> morning news. I'm like, oh, how does that work, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was cool, but you're like, where are you getting your information?
1: And I remember when I first started in local television in Los Angeles in the— um the the control room or the or, or the the uh, the, or the the editors were where they sent them the assignment desk yeah. the assignment desk right they'd have the morning paper there they'd be looking at the stories and assigning yeah. stories to reporters based on what was in the morning paper yeah you know and they still do that to a large extent Oh, or, they still or do maybe it. on the online paper that comes sure, out the yeah. night before but it's still coming
5: out of the People. Well, let me give you an example of that. We did a story uh, last week about this Navy chaplain at a base in New Orleans who got fired because yes, he had yes, sex outside yes. of a bar. Right. And within a few hours, that had been picked up by every TV station in New Orleans. Mm hmm. You know, so they're taking stuff written by somebody in Washington and they're turning it into the TV news. And of course, I would too. But that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. And so for. David Smith, to make those comments about print media, you know, I think are ridiculous. And if you watched anything on a Sinclair station, you could pick out the stories that came from print media.
1: Right. Uh, not to mention the commentaries from Boris Epstein or yeah. Epstein, whatever. I don't know how you pronounce his <laughs> name. Um, so um, big visitor to Washington this week, Mark Zuckerberg coming in uh, yeah. tomorrow, I think, and Wednesday or two days in a row. Right. Um Gonna get a great reception, right?
5: Well, are they having a ticker tape parade
1: down Pennsylvania <laughs> only Avenue? Only with
5: subpoenas, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's got a lot to explain, and uh, it's a critical time for Facebook. I think uh, they are heading into, or probably already in, an existential crisis. Um, <laughs> my th- you know, I can I mean, say from watching it and being, you know, on social media a lot. During the 2016 election, that was not always a congenial place to go hang out. You'd know, you see pictures of friends and family, but you'd also get a lot of fake news and a lot of back and forth. It just wasn't pleasant, and I think that turned people off. And then when they found out that their information was being peddled to different groups or being leaked or hacked into, I think that really hurt Facebook, particularly on the left side of the political spectrum. They're like, did these people help elect Donald Trump?
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, you can believe that or not believe that, but I think that really hurt their brand.
1: You also have to say that the the initial response from Facebook certainly didn't help. It
5: was terrible. Right. You know, they, they thought that they were some, you know, cuddly tech firm above it all. You know, Mark Zuckerberg is one of the richest people in the world. They don't get it. You know, they had to be out there with the strategy and addressing these issues and having him talk. And instead, they... Seemed like they could just, oh, do a town hall with some handpicked Facebook employees and make that go away or a statement here and there. Yeah, yeah. Like, oops, we're sorry. <laughs> and you know that they had to be getting better advice than that. You know, I used to think when somebody was faltering in a crisis, why don't they get better advice? And then realize they are getting good advice. He's just not taking it. Yeah. Because, I mean, what is he? 32 years old? He's worth $70 billion. He probably thinks he doesn't have to listen to anybody. I probably would, too, if I had that much money.
1: Mm-hmm. I
3: think that the, the biggest takeaway from all A this... A little like
5: Donald Trump in that respect.
3: Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Getting good my, advice
1: but ignoring it.
3: I think my biggest takeaway here is, like, this is unexplored territory, obviously, and Mark Zuckerberg is just in way over his head. He's just in way over his head. Mm-hmm. And look, like, regulation is probably something that should come to Facebook. Government, like, regulation is something that they should probably uh, implement uh, I here. I
1: think there's no way to stop it now.
3: No, and, and, yeah. and I don't think there should be a way to stop it. I think it's it's time for it to happen.
1: I personally look forward to seeing Mark Zuckerberg grilled by Chuck Grassley. I think the, the, crust, <laughs> the, 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 the crusty old farmer from Iowa, man, he can't wait to get a call to Mark Zuckerberg. That's going to be worth the price of admission, don't you think? Yeah, that's going to be fun. All right, quick break. What's happening down at the White House? Nancy Cook is there every day for Politico Uh, joins us here uh, in studio on our way to the White House today uh, with uh, Ray Locker standing by from USA Today. Uh, Quick break. We'll be right back.
2: Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show.
1: Here we are now on this Monday, April 9, The Bill Press Show, live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Uh, And it's good to be back with you after a little excursion out to Chicago and Santa Fe, the end of the week. Thanks again to Peter Ogburn and Igor Volsky for uh, filling in. And if you haven't uh, yet obtained your copy of From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire, my new book, uh, check out our website, more information about it, uh, and we'll take uh, good care of you and get a copy out to you right away. Ray Locker here from USA Today is a friend of Bill for the Hour. Uh, And we welcome to the table Nancy Cook, who covers the White House for Politico. Hi, Nancy. It's good to see you.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks so much uh, for coming in. Uh, I want to ask you both about a voice. Here it is, a blast from the past, okay? We haven't heard from him for quite a while, but he is back running again for governor of Minnesota, Uh, a man by the name of Tim Pawlenty. Remember him? But uh, the reason I want to play this is because... This may be, reflect a question that every Republican candidate for president is going to face this year. What do you think about Donald Trump? Here's Tim Pawlenty's uh, kind of trying to straddle the line here.
2: I voted for President Trump. I support uh, most of what he's doing, nearly all of what he's doing on a policy level. I just didn't approve of some of his comments and language in vain. <laughs>
1: Nancy.
4: (laughs) Well, that is that is the question that lawmakers on Capitol Hill have to deal with almost every week. And they're coming back today to Washington. But that's something that reporters ask them all the time. And they sort of have to duck and dodge and make it clear that they don't support things like the tweets or, you know, they're not interested in getting into the specifics of Stormy Daniels, but that they like, you know, the conservative judges and things like that. But it is really a hard uh, needle to thread for them, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. It's uh, a
5: yes. uh, Yes. But no. Right. Right. Well, the problem is... Is it th- going to be an issue in the 2018? Oh, absolutely. People don't think that he's presidential. His uh, personality is not wearing well, and politicians who are trying to straddle the line there are going to have a real hard time with it. Plus, the policies aren't really that popular. Getting rid of the Affordable Care Act, not popular. Mm-hmm. Um, the tax cut, not working out the way they thought. So what is it that he's doing that they do like? Um that's not a majority of the electorate.
4: Well, I also think in the special elections, we've really seen a number of, uh, you know, there's been huge turnout among suburban female voters. And we've seen, you know, in the Virginia governor's race and a bunch of these other special elections, they've come out in force. And I think this is a voter group to watch because I think they are really turned off by some of the you know, way that Trump conducts himself personally. And I think that could be a real problem for Republicans. Now, one
1: of the things that they did get done um is the big spending bill, right? So they had the tax cuts. That was it for 2017. Uh, the, the the omnibus spending bill for 2018. Everybody thought this is the only thing they're probably going to accomplish this year. But the president indicated that morning, as we recall, that he might not sign it after all, which <laughs> sent everybody into a, a tailspin. And then he said, all right, I'll sign it. But he bitched about it while he signed it, complained about signing it. And now reportedly they think of changing it again
4: yeah i've been told by people undoing some of the stuff they did i've been told by people in the administration that trump ever since he actually signed it has been complaining privately about it and it's been a rift with his legislative affairs shop who thought that like they were free and clear and they had gotten this and and really his advisors privately had said you need to sign this because it does increase military uh, funding even if you know, there are some other things in the package you don't like. Now Trump wants to go back into it. I think sort of just from a 30,000 foot perspective, this is another instance of Republicans sort of getting things done and then Trump stampeding on the message a bit. So he did this with the omnibus bill. He signed it. Now he wants to go back into it. Even with the tax package, they passed it. And, you know, he's supposed to be going around the country talking about how great these tax cuts are, you know, last week or yeah, last week he ended up like ripping up a speech about it or throwing it up in the air uh, at an event in West Virginia right, and yeah. sort of talking and said about immigration and just sort of this long rant. And so I, I think it's there's a lot of frustration in the White House from staffers and Republicans on the Hill who feel like he never sticks with the message. You know, they can do something, but he'll try to undo it. And and that's going to be another problem for them in the midterms, I think.
5: Can you sign a bill and get a remake? Well, you can try. I mean, they're also talking about passing a balanced budget amendment after oh, exactly. cutting taxes and blowing out oh. the budget on a spending bill. <laughs> right. yeah. I that, mean, I don't know who's that, that fooled by that. That is actually scheduled
1: this week, yeah. right? A yeah. vote on a balanced budget I mean, amendment. come on, people. If they just added $10 trillion
5: to the deficit or something. Right. Yeah. It's just not credible. Yeah. But I, d-
1: I don't remember before, I'm sure it has happened before, where Congress, pa- your party passes a bill, <clears throat> the president and your party signs it. And then you go back and say, we, we really didn't like everything. So we're going to change our own bill, which we passed and signed.
4: Well, I think it just speaks to the points of influence for the president. I, I think that he was fine with the bill until he, you know, woke up that Friday morning after a. Uh, Bill had until passed. he watched Fox and no, Friends it, that, that morning, but that is what happened. Until he saw all of the backlash from conservative commentators and people saying, "You know, this there's too much government spending," and then he suddenly decided that he had a problem with it. There was this mad dash at the White House that Friday morning. You know, Mark Short, the director of legislative affairs, was going over there. Uh, you well, know, I there was. Would
1: like to have that job, by
4: the way. That would no, be thank a, you. Hard it's, <laughs> a hard job. It is. I mean, I think it's a hard job in any presidency, yeah, but yeah, yeah, particularly in this one. Um, but. You know, a bunch of military advisors were saying we need this funding, just stick with the plan. But there was like total chaos at the White House for three or four hours that morning after Trump said he's going to veto it. And people really didn't know what was going to happen from like 10 to one thirty that afternoon, which is actually the case a lot. You know, they, they'll they just be there's just like not a, a huge clear plan every day about uh, the president can throw things off very quickly with a tweet or a stray comment to the press pool or, you know, just. He changes his mind.
1: It's sort of, uh, but I come back to Fox and Friends. There's never been a television station this
5: powerful, or a
1: television show. Not right? so
5: obviously powerful. I mean, we don't know what previous right. presidents what their media consumption was like. With this guy, you know exactly what it is. I mean, the president says he doesn't watch much TV. He seems to be watching TV all the time and tweeting about it. But Wait. he he live tweets. Yes, a fox and Friends. <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: I, I mean using word for word. yeah, you know, often. that's uh, scary. The stuff that they're doing.
4: What I think is so funny is for a president who has— uh, Steve
1: Ducey. President <laughs> Steve Ducey.
4: <laughs> what I think is funny is for a president who has really mastered like some new mediums like Twitter and used that very effectively, he's also very swayed, though, by legacy publications. And we saw that over the weekend. The Washington Post had a big story on General John Kelly, the chief of staff, and how he'd been marginalized— and how he's really lost power in the White House, and staffers don't respect him as much. And the president was reacting to that, you know, over the weekend, calling, uh, not calling out that article specifically. Or it was clear based that he thought that article was fake news, and sort of. Mm. And I think the Post and the Times and a lot of uh, sort of print publications and TV do actually have a ton of sway with this president. Right, so, he right, loves reading uh, newspapers.
1: Yeah. Do you so? Do you believe that that may be behind his? Uh, or part at least of his attacks on Amazon
5: about the post yeah. oh absolutely I think that no it's
1: not just the post office it's the oh no Washington Post
5: no nobody's fooled by that. I mean at one time Amazon and other internet com- retailers didn't charge sales tax and it was a big problem but they do now. I mean if you buy something there you get taxed on mm-hmm. it so that uh, complaint doesn't hold water and neither does a complaint about the post office. Um, no, it's because Jeff Bezos owns the Post and he doesn't like it. There seems to be
1: some almost professional jealousy uh, but to, but, but toward Bezos from from Donald Trump, right? And maybe Bezos is also very wealthy, maybe certainly wealthier than he is, and yet people like him, respect him, and and Donald Trump doesn't feel the same love.
4: Well, I think people in Silicon Valley think Jeff Bezos is a little bit of a weird guy. But, yes, he certainly has money and is respected mm-hmm. and feared. I, I think it's sort of a classic, you know, two wealthy dude pissing match. Uh, it's just really been elevated because it's the president going after one of the country's uh, wealthiest and most powerful tech executives.
1: Yeah. I think Bezos has been, no, come to think of it, remarkably restrained in this. Have we heard anything back from
5: no. Bezos? He hasn't. And I think that's a conscious strategy. I mean, I think a lot of companies now are not commenting when the president tweets about them because it's a loser for them. So let him be the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the philosophy that most people are having.
1: Okay. Right, so um, the question is, uh, Nancy and Ray, are we or are we not in a trade war? Larry Kudlow, the new economic advisor, um, It was maybe, again, trying to have it both ways, throwing cold water on this idea. We're in a trade war uh, down at the White House uh, the other day. We're not running a trade war. If you read this thing, you'll see this is just a proposed idea, which will be vetted by USTR and then open for public comment. So nothing's happened. Nothing's been executed. This by the man, of course, who was always against tariffs and was not happy this Is before he got the job, even when Donald Trump threw out these tariffs, and then yet took the job nonetheless. What's go- Are we in a trade war? Yes or no? Well,
4: I feel like if you think Mark Short has a tough job, Larry Kudlow has an even tougher job. Yeah, he arrived on the scene just last Monday. He basically has become the new the administration's new top economic salesperson, and has to defend policies that he himself historically has never agreed with. Um, so that is that's a tough slot. Well, welcome to the White House, Larry um but i think that it looks like we are definitely moving towards a trade war I, I do think that you know the president is making all of these sort of demands ratcheting up uh, tariffs on china there was one set then there was a second set i do think that they haven't actually been put into effect yet uh and so we have to sort of be mindful of that the president talks about a lot of things uh, like this meeting with north korea is that actually happening who knows um and then doesn't always follow through, so I'll be interested to see that. But definitely the rhetoric suggests that we are sort of engaging in this.
1: Right. By the way, let's not feel lar- sorry for Larry Kudlow, right? I mean, I know Larry pretty well. He used to do a show a lot. He loves having this job. He loves the spotlight.
5: Oh, I yeah, know. and he knew exactly what he was getting. It's no yeah. mystery. You know? <laughs> right. It's Donald Trump. He's been president for more than a year. You know what you're doing when you take the job.
1: Yeah. And but but it, it's also pretty clear, as Nancy said, right? Wouldn't you agree that I mean, this Donald Trump really is serious about putting these tariffs on? And I mean, he, he tweet he tweeted out again this morning about the difference between something about
5: about cars. Something yeah.
1: we, we send a car there and it costs uh, us twenty five dollars. They send one here and it's two dollars or something like that. But
5: twenty five so. percent tariff on a U.S. car yeah. imported yeah. into China versus two and a half percent here. If that's true, and I don't know because I'm not a tariff expert, yeah, that seems bad. But we don't know if it's true or not because a lot of times he says things that aren't true. Um, You know, and the weird thing about what Larry Kudlow was saying last week is basically don't pay attention to the president of the United States (laughs) because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I think a lot of people have already come to that conclusion, you know, whether they'll even follow through with these tariffs. You know, they'll take comment and then they'll just kind of let it pass. Or will somebody – will he say at the end of the comment period, we're doing it? Nobody knows.
4: Well, I also think Congress is coming back today. I think that we'll hear from a lot of members Mm -hmm. in red states. um, You know, the farming communities are really upset by this. These are people who, uh, you know, tended to support uh, President Trump in the 2016 election. And so I feel like the calculus could change a bit this week now that there are Republican lawmakers here who are going to be calling the White House going nuts and I know that there were a bunch of uh, senators, at least on the Senate Finance Committee, you know, which uh, sort of oversees trade up on the Hill, who were always really worried uh, in an election year that Trump would start a trade war. They, they've always been freaked out by this. They've never liked Peter Navarro, mm-hmm. who's the president's top trade advisor. Um, and, and so there's, this has always been a concern of them. It's coming to life. And I feel like we're going to see tremendous pushback from them this week. Mm-hmm.
1: What's the latest you hear on the Mueller investigation? Is it winding down or just gearing up?
4: Yeah, I don't think it's winding down at all. Uh, I think this has been such a fascinating experience as a reporter because, you know, you do not hear a lot about the Mueller investigation from Mueller and his people. And then these indictments drop usually on Mm -hmm. Friday afternoon, which are like amazing pieces of documents and full of information. And I feel like he is probing you know, a whole bunch of things, the obstruction of justice, um, you know, money laundering. It's like wide, te- you know, connections to Russia. The tentacles are wide. It seems like it's getting a bit closer um, to the presidency, definitely to Jared Kushner. I mean, a lot of Republican lawyers that I talk to around town feel like maybe the president won't get tripped up in this, uh, except for obstruction of justice potentially, but that Jared Kushner is definitely at a huge risk.
1: And now, Ray, still, unless this happened while I was out of town for a couple of days, the president doesn't have an attorney no. to deal with Mueller. Correct. Right? With, with uh, John Dowd resigning right, and then Joe Genova and Victoria Tunzing
5: never being hired after all. Right. Now it's bad. The president of the United States can't hire a lawyer.
4: <laughs> well, people don't. People don't. You know, a bunch of law firms. They just don't want to get involved. Mm-hmm. And so they have Jay Sukala well, there who's like, you know— Definitely a lawyer, but I think has seen internally as someone who's more of like a pundit for them on TV oh, rather totally, than a strategist. Totally. I've known
1: Jay a long time. That's what he is. He's a yeah. pundit. He's not a top drawer, white collar defense firm, which right. is what he needs.
5: Yeah, which he can't get because nobody wants to do it, which is stunning. You know, that Richard Nixon had that problem, too. He couldn't find a decent lawyer. But, and uh, that did not work out well for him either. But I mean,
1: like in Washington... Working for the president of the United States is generally considered but the most prestigious thing your law firm can do.
5: Right. Under most administrations. Under most administrations, yeah. The fact that he can't get somebody from one of those firms to represent him says a lot. Right.
3: We're talking about lawyers here. We're talking about lawyers who don't That's have right. a great right. reputation for being choosy about who right. they work with. Wait. Right?
1: What are you saying?
3: I <laughs> have a lot of good friends that are lawyers, okay? But let's just be clear. Lawyers are sharks. They, they work with a lot of different people that are shady. And, they, like, we have this problem now. It's remarkable.
5: They're finding these... Conflicts of interest that you would never think oh. would imagine. Oh, I represented that guy's third cousin. <laughs> right. uh, I can't. Sorry.
1: Well, the other thing, Nancy, that we found out in this latest, as you've pointed out, sometimes the documents that come out with these indictments really tell a lot. In response to this criticism of Robert Mueller that he is, there's mission creep, right? And he's mm-hmm. going into areas where he should never go, like Paul Manafort's business deals with Russia and everything. And then this memo comes out from Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, saying, you ought to look into this.
4: Yeah, of course. I which mean, which is
1: very significant, I thought.
4: Yeah, it is very significant. And I mean, the same thing happened with Clinton and Whitewater. I mean, that's how we that's how we found out about Monica Lewinsky because it was like also sort of a wide-ranging um investigation that turned into a f- fishing expedition. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of times the White House tries to say, well, these were not the parameters of the investigation. I mean, we've been through this before with a Democratic president, and this is and they should look to that, as a lot of reporters are, for an example of like the the way that these this could ultimately go. And it was
1: reported over the weekend, Ray, that um, that there are actual beginning like sessions to get Trump ready for an interview with Robert Mueller.
5: That's a thankless job. Everybody who's doing it knows that he can't control the guy. That's why they don't want him to talk. Um, If I was his lawyer, I wouldn't want him to talk either. I mean, we've seen what happens when we've looked at the videotape depositions that he gave in cases before he was president. And uh, pretty much looks like he perjured himself in some of those depositions. So, you know, now he's president. He's facing a possible obstruction of justice, you know, charge. And you don't want him doing that. You know, well, everybody says it's a perjury trap. It's only a perjury trap if you don't tell the truth. <laughs> and they're afraid he's not going to tell the truth.
4: Well, he's so prone, like his his style of talking is just so prone to hyperbole and exaggeration. And, you know, that can, that's great for a campaign rally. I think that that is an absolute nightmare for lawyers in a deposition.
1: Yeah. Boy, I agree with you. If I were his attorney, I would say, don't you dare. It's just too... Right. I imagine it's going to take, what, a couple of hours? And for a couple of hours, he's going to be disciplined enough to...
4: Well, these, the interviews that Mueller's um, team have been conducting with people in the administration sometimes last, like, one whole day, you know, two whole days. I think Don McGahn, the White House's top attorney, has done, like, a few whole days just with them. I mean, these are really, mm. these are marathon sessions.
1: hmm yeah. So that's one set of legal challenges that the president faces. Um I just saw Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels attorney on CNN again this morning. This is one that doesn't seem to want to go away either, and it is going to not going to go away. Would you agree?
4: Yeah, I feel like the White House has met their match in terms of people who are able <laughs> to manipulate the news cycle in Stormy <laughs> Daniels. Um, you know, I was just reading that they're they're saying now that they're going to have a sketch available um, of the, sto- of the person who threatened Stormy Daniels in that parking lot when she was with her child to stay quiet. I mean, this is just like a drip, drip, drip story for the White House. And and Stormy Daniels and her lawyer are really sort of parsing out this information piece by piece so that the story never ends. The White House, uh, I'm sure Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be asked about it in the briefing today. You know, They do not like to be asked about it, um, and, and they keep trying to say we've answered these questions already. But the story won't go away.
1: She'll say, ask Michael Cohen.
5: Oh man, that guy. He should be in witness protection somewhere. Yeah, I would, don't blame him for never wanting to talk to anybody again. He obviously, you know, was involved in a shady payoff deal. He either broke the campaign finance law by giving a $130,000 campaign contribution or he was a conduit. Um doesn't look good for him. Uh, either
3: one of those things is bad
5: uh, they're yeah. both bad and I mean you understand why he did it because this thing was gonna break right before the election and the whole idea of having a non-disclosure agreement with her is totally gone out the window everybody knows what happened it's not enforceable i mean to go after her for breaking it seems ridiculous uh they just they've lost but he's a uh,
1: he's a kind of friend to have you know michael cool. If you get in trouble there's a just, you know, shell out $130,000 out of his own pocket.
5: Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I don't believe that for a minute.
1: <laughs> um, Ray and I were talking earlier, Nancy, about uh, Scott Pruitt. Mm-hmm. Looks like hanging in there. Not only is he hanging in, but Trump is hanging in with him, right? Sarah Sarah uh, was asked Friday, uh, no, it wasn't a briefing Friday, it was Thursday or so, about uh, what this is the official White House response on Scott Pruitt.
0: The president uh, feels that the administrator has done a good job at EPA. He's restored it back to its original purpose of protecting the environment. It's gotten unnecessary regulations out of the way.
1: Spin, spin, spin. But uh, no matter what Pruitt does, no matter what comes out, the president just is in his corner.
4: Well, I think there's a few dynamics at work. Um, one, I think if, there, if it had been any other cabinet secretary, uh, that person would be gone already. But two, I think that General John Kelly coming out and so vocally saying uh, that he, Pruitt needed to go actually made the president want to keep Pruitt. You know, Kelly is not <laughs> high on the president's list right now and has been marginalized and his power has gone down. And I feel like when the president gets in that kind of relationship with someone, you know, if they tell him to do mm-hmm. something. This was true with Ryan's previous too, his previous chief of staff. Ryans would say, do this. The president was tired of Ryans The president would do the opposite. So Kelly's. Uh, pushing Pruitt to get fired, I think, is, is helping to contribute to his staying power.
1: And contributing to Kelly's
5: shortness on the job? If you don't like what people are telling you, you get rid of the person who's telling you stuff you don't like. Or that person quits.
4: Yeah, I think the president hasn't been happy with Kelly for several weeks. I think it's just a matter of like who's going to take the job. And when I talk to people around town, Republicans, that's that's the question. It's not you know, is yeah. Kelly going to stay forever? It's like, when is he going to leave mm. and who will step into that role? Well,
5: there's talk that nobody will step into that role, that he will be the first president since Lyndon Johnson not to have a designated chief of staff.
1: Uh, in fact, the president has said that, right? right.
4: Well, the same don't, thing- Don't
1: need a chief of staff and don't need a communications director. Right. right. And even
4: at one point during the transition, uh, he was talking with people in New York about you know, he didn't even think he needed a head of the National Economic Council. Like, this has been a reoccurring theme where, you know, he doesn't necessarily think that he needs a lot of these top slots. And, and I think we're starting to see him more and more running the country a bit more like he did his family business.
3: I
1: alone yeah. can fix it. Yeah, he did say that. That was at the Republican National right. Convention, yeah. I yeah.
5: believe, wasn't it? Right. So this yeah. Yeah.
1: The I-alone presidency.
5: <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, well, he's living up to that. He's working on that prophecy right now.
1: i got to tell you, you got to run fast to keep up with what's going on, uh, and you do a good job of it, Nancy. Thanks so much.
4: Oh, thanks for having me. From
1: Politico, Politico.com, and Ray Locker, as always, from USA Today, USA Thank you both. Thanks for being here. All right. Uh, have a great day, all the rest of you, too, and don't come back. Don't forget, come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll this be looking for you. is The Bill Press Show.